people have to a very great extent lost touch with where their foods come from. And I think that's not the case in seafood. In seafood, it's it's pretty immediate. You can see it. You see fisher, fishermen going out uh, to sea. You see fish farms if you drive along an area where there are fish farms. So I think it's, it's a much closer relationship. Um, and I think that's really important. This is Fishtales, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. Aquaculture now accounts for over 50% of the seafood consumed in the world. And meanwhile, the population of our planet grows at a staggering 1.5% a year. The world will have double the current number of mouths to feed by 2060. Hence, there is a strategic and long-term need for the development of aquaculture, and it's more important now than ever. Lara Barazzi Gerolano is the Managing Director of Kefalonia Fisheries, a 40-year-old aquaculture company based on an idyllic Greek island, which is part of the Ionian Islands Group, located right opposite the Gulf of Corinth, only 30 kilometres from the coast of the Peloponnese. For her and her company, the journey of sustainability is one of tradition. They are dedicated to preserving the time-honoured way of life on a Greek island. Care, love and good food is their mandate. My name is Laura uh, Barazi Yerulanu. It's a long and complicated name. I'm from Greece, um, and I'm um, an aquaculture producer, a fish farmer. I've been doing this for a very long time, um, since 1998, and um, I run Kefalonia Fisheries, which is a family-owned business. It was um, so I'm the second generation of my family to run it. It uh, was founded back in 1981, so um, we're actually celebrating 40 years of. Um, of you know producing great fish this year, so um, our our farm is um, it's based on an island called Kefalonia, on the west coast of Greece in um, the Ionian Sea, and it was founded by my father-in-law, and it was uh, really the first one of its kind in the Mediterranean and the first one for sea bass and sea bream. So uh, these are Mediterranean species. Um, sometimes sea bass is known as Branzino. I don't know if you um, have it in Australia, as such. Um, but it's it's different from let's say Asian sea bass. It's slightly different. So um, what else can I tell you? The business was started by my father-in-law as a a sort of a, um, interesting. Uh, there's an interesting story behind that. Um, he was um, very active in preservation, ocean conservancy, uh, Mediterranean um, preservation back then. He was Greece's first um, general secretary for the environment. Let's say it wasn't a ministry at the time. And one of the, the, the biggest problems that we had in the Mediterranean was um, basically dwindling wild fishing stocks and dynamite fishing, which would really wreak havoc on um, ecosystems. Um, and he, a study um, from Norway on salmon farming came across his desk. And he thought that that might be a really good alternative for fishermen, and especially for the new generations of, um, of young people on the islands who didn't really want to take up their parents, their father's businesses, because it was really tough. It was tough to make a living of uh, fishing back then, and, and still is, obviously. Um, so when he resigned from his post in public service, he went back to his home island and started um, Kefalonia, Kefalonia Fisheries. Native to the Mediterranean Sea, both the European sea bass and gilt-headed brim are highly prized marine fish. To the uninitiated, there is sometimes confusion between sea brim and sea bass. The two fish are quite different though. Sea brim has a meaty white flake, while sea bass is much more delicate in texture. Both are indigenous to the waters of Kefalonia, and both are highly regarded by locals, the harshest critics of their local favorite fish. So um, the species that um, are 
most commonly farmed in the Mediterranean are um, sea bass and sea bream. Uh, Mediterranean sea bass and sea bream. Um, there are a number of other Mediterranean species that uh, we have the technology to farm, so we know the reproductive cycle, but um, they're either not entirely, um, we haven't closed the production cycle entirely, or there's still some challenges, or there's not very much demand for them in the market. So I think in aquaculture, there's always that um, that challenge, let's say. You have to find a species that people want that uh, does not exist in abundance in nature, so it makes sense from a cost perspective to produce. Um, so for the time being, those are the two species we're most familiar with, but there are other um, other species that are coming down the line. So um, there's a, a type of pagrus, um, uh, not porgy exactly, um, it's called a, yeah, it's a, I guess it's a kind of porgy. There's a uh, kind of um, uh, yellowtail, it's called uh, seriola, species, which is Mediterranean, not the same as in the Pacific. So there's an, there's a few other species that uh, we know how to produce, but they're uh, not really at a very large commercial scale yet. The bream is, is a lovely uh, Mediterranean fish. It's very, um, basically, I think I like to eat it, and I think most people would agree with me, in a very simple Mediterranean style, so grilled with lemon and olive oil and the, maybe some herbs. Um, whereas the sea bass, the bronzino, is... Uh, perhaps more versatile because it has a very mild, uh, sweet taste, let's say, and it's lovely just even steamed, which is the way I like to eat it, but it's wonderful with any sort of style. I've made it from um, uh, a more European, it can be with sort of a flavored butter sauce to um, Asian style with a little bit of soy sauce and ginger. So it's very versatile. We have two main lines, let's say, that we produce. The one is uh, our specialization is in very uh, large-sized fish. So for aquaculture, it, they're considered large. It's probably not for fishing. Um, but that means sizes of one kilogram and above. And that's basically destined for the um, the restaurants and, and um, catering and hotel service, let's say. And then we have an organic line, which is for the retail space. That goes to uh, supermarkets in England, in the United States, uh, in France, uh, and I think recently in Switzerland. In 2021, Greece produced approximately 200,000 tonnes of seafood. Whilst not one of the European or global seafood powerhouses, Greece has been at the forefront of aquaculture since before 2000 BC. The, the whole sector in Greece, so Greece is uh, one of the largest producers in the Mediterranean of those species, and the industry is basically 80% export. Um, in our case, in Kefalonia, we export um, close to 95% of our fish, and um, a lot of it goes to Italy, um, Spain, France, and all over Europe, um, the United States, some even to Hong Kong. Uh, I think that's the farthest that we ship. And um, and then from time to time, we also have some, um, we send some frozen to Australia. Um, we have um, organic uh, br brand, let's say. And that unfortunately doesn't go fresh to Australia because that's a long way, but it does go frozen. Organic aquaculture is a holistic method for farming fish and, and other marine species in line with organic principles, often with significant cost and operational demands for the farmer. A certified organic seal on an aquaculture product demands an accredited certifying body has verified that the production methods meet or exceed a country's standard for organic aquaculture production. Organic regulations designed around soil-based systems don't transfer well into aquaculture and tend to conflict with commercial fish farming practices. There are a number of problems facing organic aquaculture. 
difficulty of sourcing and certifying organic juveniles, a 30 to 40% higher feed cost, it's more labour intensive, time and cost of the certification process, a higher risk of disease and uncertain benefits. But for Kefalonia fisheries, there is a definite consumer demand for organic seafood and their lead in organic aquaculture is admired by many in the seafood industry. We were also the first to develop an organic uh, standards for sea bass and sea bream in the Mediterranean. Uh, we didn't do it alone, obviously. We did it with an um, organic standards um, company called uh, Naturland, which is German. And um, one of the, the prerequisites was that the environment be free of uh, a lot of human activity. So no big cities, no industrial activity, obviously, and uh, not even agriculture because the even the runoff from fertilizer from farms can affect the water and the ocean environment let's say so we were fortunate that where we already were farming was exactly that sort of environment um, the waters in the ionian are um, um, deep and and rather cold rather in comparison to other places in the mediterranean um, very clear waters. It looks a little bit like the Caribbean where we are, um, except a little bit colder. And very, very clean, very beautiful waters. And maybe our biggest challenge was sourcing organic, uh, organically certified feed, because that's very important in the process. It's that um, uh, every stage and every input, let's say, is uh, you can control it, you can certify that it is really what it's supposed to be. And in terms of the feed, the carbohydrate portion of what we feed the fish has to come from um, organic aqu uh, agriculture. And the uh, fish meal and fish oil portion um, had to be sustainable. So that means that we didn't want to go out there and fish fish to feed farmed fish. So the idea was that the fish meal and fish oil would be from trimmings from, um, from, from fisheries landings that were destined for human consumption. So it would be, for example, anchovies or sardines that were already going to go to for uh, human consumption, whatever's left over from the trimming and the filleting process, that's made into fish meal and fish oil, which is organic then. So that was the biggest challenge because then meant we had to work with um, uh, feed producers and they had to work with raw material producers so that we could close that cycle. Everything else was pretty simple, really. It was very pretty much what we were already doing. It's not huge. It's still a small market. And I think the reason for that is because um, cultural different um, idea of what organic is. Uh, we saw that in Europe very much. Um, in England, for example, organic has connotations of locally produced. In, um, in France, it's very much associated with a, sort of a, a gourmet, more natural approach. So every country has a slightly different idea of what they think organic is or should be. So one of the challenges is is that the second, of course, is the um, the organic shops. Most large retailers um, don't really have a very large organic uh, presence in fresh seafood. So it's mostly uh, frozen or prepackaged, let's say. Um, so logistics and distribution can be a challenge for that. In terms of consumers, I think people are un unfortunately, I would say, confused and um, and worried about what they eat. And I say unfortunately because I feel some part of it part of it is justified, and some part of it is just made people very anxious about their food. And um, you know, as long as you as you make sure you eat what if, whatever is the least possibly processed and perhaps locally sourced, you know, you're going to be fine. So I don't think there's there. Um, so I think that's unfortunate. And with seafood, which feels distant unless you live next to a fishing community, seafood is something that people are not 
always familiar with where it comes from and, and how is it sourced and, and what does it mean that it's sustainable, whether it's fished or fish farmed. So I think all of that confusion leads to people wanting labels and certifications where sometimes you just need to just, you know, learn a little bit more about where your food is coming from. COVID has indeed been a curse on many areas of life. For many, however, stoves have been turned on for the first time in years, recipe books dusted and used, and for some, their first crack at preparing seafood at home. Like many producers with a significant share of their business servicing the food sector, for Kefalonia, a pivot into retail was necessary but exciting. A lot of seafood in Europe, and I'm not sure if it's the same in Australia, but I suspect it might be, is eaten in outside of the home. So um, the, the the impact of COVID was very severe in the beginning because um, obviously all restaurants closed. What was interesting is that we saw um, a shift from uh, restaurant consumption to retail. So a lot of the lost demand, let's say lost consumptions in restaurants, was replaced by uh, by retail. And uh, this year, 2021, where restaurants have reopened, we see a. Um, it's not really that it's shifted back. So I think that's very positive. So people learn to eat fish um, in the home a little bit more. As producers, we learn to make our product more um, easily available to consumers. So in a, in whether it's partially fillet or gutted or scaled, just in a way that's slightly easier to prepare at home. So I, I hesitantly want to say that perhaps it was a good thing finally, because it taught people that you could eat um, seafood um, also at home and it can be cooked rather easily. And um, and not make such a mess. You know, people sometimes think it's messy, it's complicated, it's difficult. And um, COVID, I think, taught a lot of people that that's not the case. That's I think that's very positive for seafood in general and for you know uh, the cause of nutritious eating. Let's say um, because it's it's it is important that people learn to love to to eat seafood uh, more for for obvious reasons for all the vitamins and nutrients. Um, but I think one of the biggest obstacles was first that people think it might it's expensive, and the second that it's hard to prepare. And uh, neither are necessarily true. From her base in Kefalonia, Lara is also involved with the broader Mediterranean and global seafood industry through her work with the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, or IUCN, and the General Fisheries Committee for the Mediterranean at the FAO. It is with a clear focus on ensuring the future of both the environment and a healthy food source that Lara can help forge a roadmap for the sustainable production of quality seafood into the future. In general, I think it starts from consumption, in my opinion. Um, we all want to consume what we want to consume, and people and countries that are fortunate enough to have that ability, um, nobody really wants to, um, to forfeit that. So what that means is that we put a lot of pressure on our natural environment, whether it's fishing or fish farming. And I'm, I'm going to you know, uh, comment only on the ocean resources, although obviously we have exactly the same problem on land. So I think that aquaculture has a very important role to play in mitigating some of that pressure, uh, not replacing it. It can never do that. And, um, and it still is using the same resource as fishing does. So it has to work hand in hand, I think, in making sure that we can provide nutritious food for this growing demand, this growing population, but in a way that is sustainable. Um, so yes, I do think aquaculture is very important, but I think it's, a, it's one of the tools in this, let's say, conservation toolbox that we have. 
Yes. So um, this was um, we in in various let's say public fora, whether it's the the FAO or the IUCN. Um, there's a lot of work being done in setting standards or best practices, let's say, which have to do, in my case, my, my expertise is aquaculture. So the idea is to say, what is the best way to site a farm? What parameters should we take um, in um, in account? Uh, what is the best way to produce um, the, the species, whatever that might be? The best way to source the feed? So um, we work hand in hand with the IUCN, which is um, an NGO. It's actually the largest um, NGO globally, and sort of an umbrella organization for many others. And the idea there is to work together with scientists, with consumer organizations, with fish farmers, um, and policymakers, obviously, to come up with best practices. The Mediterranean Sea region, the largest of the semi-enclosed European seas, is surrounded by 22 countries, which together share a coastline of over 46,000 kilometers. It's also home to around 480 million people living across three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. It's claimed that almost 33% of fish around the world are overfished, whereas this percentage rises up to 60% in the Mediterranean Sea, according to Food and Agriculture Organization's report, The State of World Fisheries and Aquaculture. But with so many varied populations, cultures, and economies, the task of managing and stewarding aquaculture in this region is a daunting task. Well, I mean, my role is, is limited to the Mediterranean, um, which is which has particular challenges because the Mediterranean is one ocean, obviously, but you have the European Union countries, you have the Middle Eastern countries, the Eastern Mediterranean, and you have the North African countries. And each region has its own um, challenges in terms of what they produce and for what purpose. So, for example, in Egypt, a lot of the uh, challenge is producing uh, adequate protein for internal consumption. It's a different challenge than it might be in Italy or Spain, which is producing a, a more of a premium luxury product, let's say, which would be sea bass and sea bream. Um, all of it, though, needs to be done sustainably. And that's where um, organizations like IUCN and the FAO are invaluable because they put together all these different um let's say, pressures and, and requirements and demands to come up with something that works for the ecosystem as a whole. So the, the aquaculture industry has grown tremendously the last uh, 30 years. Um, it is mostly sea bass and sea bream. There is also a very a fairly large production of a uh, species called meager. It's, um, it's a wonderful fish, very large, sometimes called corvina. I don't know if you're familiar with it. And it's also present in, the, um, in South America. That's produced a lot in uh, Egypt, uh, but also in Turkey and Greece. So there's a very a pretty dynamic aquaculture industry, basically offsetting the fact that our, our wild fish stocks have dwindled substantially. Um, there's a lot of pressure on the Mediterranean because there is tourism, there's shipping, um, there's uh, this fishing. So it's um, the, the management of it, if you will, is pretty complex. So... Um, it's it's maybe a good test case for the for the rest of the of the oceans worldwide because it's the only one that's really closed in the way it is and really surrounded by uh, you know humans who want to use it so there's a lot of pressure on it let's say it's rather different than the Pacific for example for some life's lessons can be learned tough for others they are the result of following a passion it seems that for Lara her love of her home 
the marine environment and the future are lessons worth learning? Well, it's um, certainly taught me, uh, well, it's two levels. The first is, of course, uh, an appreciation, a greater appreciation, I guess, for the ocean. I always, I grew up uh, by the sea. I'm a diver. I love the water. I think it's like many people, obviously. But working in the ocean has taught me a different side of it. So on the one side, the enormous complexity of that environment, because it really is very, very complex and rich, um, as well as its beauty. So I would say that's something that just never stops amazing me. Um, and the second thing, I guess professionally, it's taught me to be a um, more creative than I thought I would ever be. I think of myself as not a very creative person, just sort of a very straightforward um, kind of a business person, let's say. But I think working in, in, in that kind of an environment in this business, um, you have to be creative. And what I mean by that is you have to be able to put together uh, very different kinds of skill sets to solve problems and um, and to sort of progress. Because you have nature, you have an, a living organism, you have uh, food production and, um, and all of that complexity. Um, you have a commodity product because fishing is, is it's a commodity product, seafood. So um, making all of that work together well requires um, a lot of creative thinking, I think. Optimistic people have a positive outlook on life. They're able to take the best possible outcome of any situation because they always see the glass as half full and never give up when things get tough. Optimistic people believe that everything happens for a reason and they're there to assist in driving a positive outcome. Currently, the world of aquaculture needs optimists. Whilst it's a challenging and fast-changing space, it's truly exciting. Well, I think that um, in, we have some challenges to overcome, and I, and I think I mentioned that earlier. Most of it has to come with um, use of space because there is um, a very strong pressure on the coastal zone in the Mediterranean, a lot of, lot of users of that space. Um, so I think that aquaculture is, to a certain extent, going to have to move uh, offshore, to find, it's, I think the challenges really reside around how are we going to best use this space to in, in, the, in the most sustainable manner. So I think that's really the greatest challenge going forward. I think the technology is there, whether it's moving, um, let's say, open ocean farming, so a little bit farther away from the coastline, um, land-based farming. I think there are many alternatives, uh, but that's the greatest challenge, I think. Um, in terms of what we do, we have a um, we continue to be a niche company, even though we've we've grown substantially since our early days. Um, as the industry has consolidated, then the definition of let's say niche grows as well. I think there was um, there is a very strong demand for a a very natural, let's say healthy um, premium product in that sense. I don't mean premium necessarily price wise. I mean in terms of um, quality. Um, so we will continue to do that. That's that's my goal. Um, to grow sort of slowly in the sense that along with the, what I think the demand is and uh, just keep doing what we've been doing for the last 40 years, hopefully. Seafood plays an essential role in feeding the world's growing population. Healthy fish populations lead to healthy oceans and it's our responsibility to be part of the solution. The resilience of our marine ecosystems and coastal communities depend on sustainable aquaculture. Oh, and let's not forget that seafood is also incredibly delicious and nutritious. I think it's it's very important because um, of its nutritional aspects. Apart from because you you may 
I mean, I think that it's also delicious and versatile, and um, and and but it's, it's very good for us essentially. So I think that our job as uh, seafood um, producers, let's say, as people who work in this in this industry, our job is to try to. Um, convey the message that this is among the best things that you could do for yourself is is eat seafood and um, and cook it and enjoy it um, our job is to also make sure that it's easy for people to do that and it kind of brings you closer to your roots because it's really a food that's just straight from the ocean and there's not much that we can say there, unless you far, you happen to live in a rural area and you farm your own food um, people have to a very great extent lost touch with where their foods come from and I think that's not the case in seafood. In seafood, it's it's pretty immediate. You can see it. You see fisher, fishermen going out uh, to sea. You see fish farms if you drive along an area where there are fish farms. So I think it's it's a much closer relationship. Um, and I think that's really important. Aquaculture makes a substantial contribution to our food supplies. So it must be done in a way that is sustainable. With leaders in aquaculture like Lara and the commitment that she has to ensuring not only her business but the industry are always progressing sustainably. It's encouraging to know that the future of seafood aquaculture looks bright. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.